encourage all the kids to go ahead and have your Bibles out because I'll be asking you some questions. And the adults too. Not that you wouldn't, just us. What good is wisdom? We ask that question of different things. Why do I bother to do whatever it is? Whether it's things like uh, pay car insurance, or prepare for a certain activity, or take a particular class. What good is it? What's the point of doing it? Why put forth the effort? And when it comes to something like wisdom, this being a book of wisdom literature, we would just sort of take it for granted almost that wisdom is worth having, that wisdom is something that we should pursue. And yet, in this passage, Solomon is going to highlight several um, ways in which wisdom falls short, in, way, in which wisdom can't solve the difficulties or the confusion or the limitations of our present earthly life. And so we'll start out in verse 12. And just as an aside, uh, there's a commentary in Ecclesiastes by a man named uh, Doug O'Donnell that I've been reading that is a very helpful commentary on the book. If you're looking for a, a commentary, it's very readable uh, and uh, I think a good one to uh, look into. Uh, if I remember right, there's a few things in the introduction. I think he expresses a little bit of skepticism about Solomon being the author, uh, just due to a lot of his interaction with uh, a variety of discussions on that subject. But other than that, everything else I've read in the commentary has been very, very encouraging and helpful. So, when we come to verse 12, Solomon turns to consider three things. One of the kids, why don't you tell me what were the three things that Solomon turns to consider? Go ahead, right there. Okay. Then the next phrase, he says, what will the man do who will come after the king except what has already been done? Anyone want to give a thought as to what that means? Okay, and that I think is, is definitely true. I think Solomon's also tying it in to what he said in chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. There's really nothing new, right? You know, people talk about that this is a new way to govern, this is a, a new way to do things, this is a new way of looking at the world, but so many times, in fact, pretty much every time, it ends up being something that has already been put forth as an idea before or tried before. Uh, along those lines, we would do well both to study and to learn lessons from history so that we don't make the same mistakes people have already made over and over and over again. So uh, Solomon is studying wisdom, madness, and folly. And I don't think he's studying wisdom and madness and folly in the same way. I think he's setting it up this way. He's saying you have wisdom and you have foolishness and madness he, and he's trying to figure out, he's exploring the boundaries of them. He's considering what is the result of them. He's thinking about what will happen if you follow the paths of one of those things. And so I think we would group madness and folly together and then wisdom by itself. And so he's going to give that comparison in verse 13. 
Uh, one of the kids want to say, what is the comparison that Solomon makes between wisdom and folly? What's the picture that he gives? What does he compare wisdom and folly to? Is there someone who hasn't answered yet? Yes. Okay, good. So Solomon lays out this picture. He says, wisdom is like light and folly is like darkness. So this is not a trick question. Which one is better? Light? Yeah. Sorry. Well, I'll have you raise your hand because other kids are raising their hand. No, you're, you're good. I, mean, I appreciate your eagerness. All right. Um, so light is clearly better. In terms of what Solomon's going to say next, in verse 14. Now clearly if you're trying to sleep, you probably want darkness instead of light. But in terms of your ability to see what is in front of you, and that's what we see in verse 14. It says, the wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Uh, maybe one more of the kids tell me, what do you think that means? The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. What's the difference between how those two people are described? I'll open it up to the adults too, because I know it's a little bit of a tricky question. What, what do you think the, the contrast or the, the description there is supposed to be showing? Okay, good. Um, ever, ever hear someone use the description that they go into a situation with their eyes wide open? I think it's a figure of speech, right? So Solomon's using a Hebrew figure of speech. We're using, we would use an English figure of speech. Um, the commentary that I alluded to used a, a German figure of speech, which escapes me at the moment, but it's funny how in different cultures we have different expressions that have the same sort of idea, but the bottom line is this. The wise person sees what's ahead. The foolish person is just stumbling around. Can anybody think of a verse in Proverbs that sort of gives that idea? You don't have to quote it exactly, but if there's a verse in Proverbs that, that ties into that idea about the difference between the naive or the foolish person and the wise person about what they see ahead of them. Does anybody think of what that one is? Jonathan, do you think of what it is? Okay. Yeah. So, the, uh, I think it says something about the prudent foresees the evil and hides himself, and the simple go on and are punished, right? So the simple, the naive, the foolish person doesn't look ahead and ends up in all sorts of trouble. And I think that we see that that is often the case in life. So, what have we seen so far? 
Solomon is considering the boundaries of wisdom, madness, and folly. The one who's going to come after him as the ruler is going to continue along the same path because as we saw in chapter 1, there's not really anything new as far as a way of following along uh, that people invent. They tend to follow the, the ways that have already been set out before them. He draws this comparison between wisdom and foolishness, says that wisdom is like light and foolishness is like darkness, and in the same way, wisdom is better than foolishness. What, and then he explains that further by saying, in this, because you have the light, you can see what's ahead of you, you're not going to get into trouble, all of those sorts of things. So that, none of that I think we would argue with or would be different than what we would expect. And then he comes to the end of verse 14. And yet I know that one fate befalls them both. Maybe one of the kids, what is, what is the one fate that he talks about that's going to happen to everybody in the whole world? Yeah. Death. So this is going to start raising the question, which he actually goes into in verse 15, Then I said to myself, as is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. Why then have I been extremely wise? So I said to myself, this too is vanity. And in that word vanity, we have our word that we saw starting in chapter 1 that we said probably mostly has this idea of breath, something that's temporary, something that is, is there's not much to it. We look at it, we, we think about it for a second, but it's hard to, to really, there's nothing solid there to grasp. He says the fact that the wise person and the foolish person, both of them die, that's confusing. That's that's hard to put your head around. It's hard to grasp and understand what's going on with that. And then he says in verse 16, why one of the reasons that it is so frustrating, this fact that the wise and the foolish both die. What's the reason that he gives that he's frustrated in verse 16? It's not so much death, but what comes after death for both the wise person and the foolish person. What do people think about those two types of people? Yes? You can answer, Tom. Okay, they're forgotten. So many people today want to be remembered, right? Facebook, for example, which I know the kids are not on, some of the adults are, you, every so often, it will pull up something from a few years back and say, hey, look at this memory, remember it, tell it to people again. They want you to do that because it helps their business model, but there's a degree to which all of us have a sense of that. We don't want to forget these important memories in our lives. We don't want to forget. We want people to remember us, and so sometimes that means that people in the world are very focused on creating different experiences. So sometimes people go into huge amounts of, of debt to go on these really extravagant trips, or they'll say, you know, it's not good enough for me to have a normal wedding. I have to have a wedding where um, I saw a video a while back, and it was uh, supposed to be this girl getting engaged, and the guy comes, he gets down on one knee, and he starts to open the box, and she's like, no, 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 the, the, the lighting's not quite right. So she makes him stand up and it was a parody. It wasn't an actual thing, although I'm sure there's people like that in the world. And so it was this big, it had to be a better and a more memorable and a more 
amazing thing than anyone else's experience of that event. People live to be remembered, and yet Solomon says, whether you're wise or whether you're foolish, death is before all of us, and we will be forgotten. How do we know that this is the case? Who can tell me the name of the 38th president? I don't know. I don't remember. You don't remember. That's not that long ago. Very many things happen in the world, and most of them are forgotten. Some of them are written down in books. Some of them are rediscovered after time, but most of them are forgotten. And so Solomon is saying, if our goal, if our focus is to be remembered, it's not a goal that's going to happen. Then he says in verse 17, So I hated life. The work that had been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futility and striving after wind. How many of you have ever felt a breeze blowing on a summer day? Okay. How many of you have ever successfully caught that wind? That's silly, right? You can't catch the wind. Why? Why can't you catch the wind? Okay, good. Solomon is saying, trying to make sense of life, trying to live wisely, is at one level like trying to catch the wind because it, we feel like we've got it figured out, and then all of a sudden we say, but wait a minute, why should I go to all the work to do this if the same thing's going to happen whether I do this or not? So then we come to verse 18. Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor, for which I had labored under the sun, for I must leave it to the man who will come after me. So here, Solomon is going to introduce uh, the second part of wisdom's limitations. So the first part of wisdom's limitations is that even if you're wise, you can't escape death. Okay, that's the first limitation that he lays out. The second is has three parts that we see in verses 18 to 23. He says in verse 18, I must leave it to the man who comes after me. Who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool? So verse 18, what is it that Solomon is saying is going to be left to the person who comes after him? What do people leave to their family? Okay, so all the stuff that we worked for in life, we leave to someone after us. And why, verse 19, is that frustrating to Solomon? Right. Right. Exactly. All right, so 
If we uh, turn over to, and I'm making sure I have the right passage here, turn over to 1 Kings chapter 12. First Kings chapter 12, and essentially the people come to Solomon's son Rehoboam in the first part of the chapter, and they say, Solomon made us pay a lot of taxes and made life hard for us in some ways. We know that he was a, a wise king and he had God's blessing, but life has been difficult for us. Will you make it easier? Look at Rehoboam's response in chapter 12 in verse 12. Then Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day as he had directed. The king answered the people harshly, for he forsook the advice of the elders which they had given him, and he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men instead of the elders, uh, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of events from the Lord, that he might establish his word, which the Lord spoke through Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam, son of Nebeth. Then we see what happens. Verse 16, when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, What portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, look after your own house, David. So Israel departed to their tents. So, here's the question. Was Solomon's son wise or foolish? You can just shout it out. Foolish. foolish. Clearly he's foolish. So Solomon, and, and this sort of raises the question in our mind, when Solomon writes this in Ecclesiastes, did he already see kind of what was potentially going to happen with Rehoboam? I think it's quite possible that he did. And he's saying, I have all this wealth. Remember back what kind of wealth did Solomon have? Anybody remember from the last few weeks we've looked at Ecclesiastes, what kind of wealth did Solomon have? Okay, gold instead of silver. How, how was silver described? Silver was described as worthless. That's how rich Solomon was. And then here comes his son, Rehoboam, and Rehoboam is going to squander it all. It's going to tear the kingdom apart. Now, 1 Kings 12 says that's because that was God's judgment on Solomon because of his idolatry and his chasing after all these foreign wives and not trusting God. So it wasn't that it was apart from God's plan. And yet, when Solomon says this, you have to recognize this was something that he was kind of watching happen right in front of his eyes. So the first of this section of the limitations of wisdom is that you don't know if the person who gets the result of all your work might be a fool. Okay? And then, what's his response? In verse 20, Therefore I completely despaired of all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. And then he says, When there is a man who has labored with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, then he gives his legacy to one who has not labored with them. This too is vanity and a great evil. So what's he saying in this? It's similar, but it's not exactly the same thing. What's he saying here? Not only might you leave your things to someone who's a fool, but you also might leave them to 
how does he describe his labor or the, the man's labor in verse 21? What are the three things that describe his labor in verse 21? All right, so here's someone who's worked with wisdom, knowledge, and skill. Not only is he leaving it to a child, potentially, who could be a fool, he's also leaving it to someone who hasn't earned it and who may not pursue it with wisdom, knowledge, and skill. Well, the two things are closely related, but he's just emphasizing it again. He says, this too is a vanity and a great evil. And then he says in verse 22, for what does a man get in all his labor and all his striving with which he labors under the sun? Because his task is painful and grievous, even at night his mind does not rest. This too is vanity. So what's the third thing he says about inheritance and work and wisdom in all of it? What's the third thing in verse 23? Why is it frustrating? Why is work frustrating? It does. We work. Uh, somebody, I'm trying to think what it was I was I was reading or watching or listening to the other day. It was an advertisement of some kind, and it was it was from a a really a really unexpected place. It was like one of these channels that's supposed to be about like comedy and lighthearted fun and all that sort of thing. And it just showed this person, and it, it had all these captions about how the person gets up, and they go to work, and then they come home, and then they go to bed, and they get up, and they go to work, and they come home, and they go to bed, and I'm leaving out all the steps in between. You understand what I'm saying? And they're kind of like, so what's the point? It consumes your life. It's one of those things where we have to work, and work is, is good. We'll get to that in a second. Work is good and necessary, but it takes up so much of our life. And then to say, I've worked so hard, I might leave it to someone who's a fool. I've worked so hard, and here's how I've worked, and this person may not share those same things as being important to them, and I've spent so much of my time, what do I have to show for it? What's the point of the work, and what good is wisdom? So then we come to verse 24. He says, there's nothing better for a man to eat and drink and tell himself his labor is good. This I have seen is from the hand of God. Now, some people go wrong at this point, and they say that the goal of verse 24 is you can't control what happens after you, you can't change what's important to them, you can't change the fact that you've poured all your time into this, so... You might as well just enjoy life as it comes because there's nothing you can do about it. But Solomon, I think, is a little more hopeful than just enjoy life while you can because sooner or later you'll be miserable. I, I think it's a little bit more than that, right? He's saying eat and drink and tell himself or consider that his labor is good. Think about wisdom literature in the Bible. One of the important things that's set as the background of wisdom literature in the Bible is God and his work in creation. So think back to the Garden of Eden. When God told Adam to work in the garden, was it before or after Satan tempted him and Eve and they sinned? Go 
and call it out a sin before. So if work was given before sin came into the world, is work bad or good? It's good. And here, Solomon even describes it as a gift of God. It's from the hand of God. And verse 25 adds to this, who can eat and have enjoyment without him? So if we are going to have a right perspective on work and on wisdom, we have to recognize where work came from and who is the source of true wisdom. And that has to be part of our perspective or, or we're just going to have a wrong understanding of all these things. Verse 26 is very interesting. It says, The person who is good in his sight, he has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, while to the sinner the task of gathering and collecting to give to the one who is good in God's sight. And then when he says this is vanity and striving after wind, I think he's saying this is perplexing and confusing, and yet this is the way that God has set up the world to work. And he's going to talk later in Ecclesiastes about seeming exceptions to this rule. In other words, here's what he's saying here. God blesses the person who follows him, and God takes the things from the person who doesn't follow him and uses them to bless the person who follows him. But the things that start popping up in our mind are, what about people who love God and work hard and try to live wisely, but they don't have any money? Or what about people who are faithful and diligent, but they lose their job? Or what about people who try to follow God in their lives, and maybe their kids come after them, and they say, I don't want to follow that same path? How does that fit with what Solomon is describing? And here's what Solomon is saying. Wisdom is better than foolishness as light is better than darkness. But wisdom is limited. Wisdom can't help you escape death, and wisdom doesn't guarantee what's going to happen after you. So in a sense, wisdom is for this life, and wisdom is for your life, because it doesn't have advantages after this life in the same way, and because the wisdom that you have lived out in practice is not always guaranteed to be in the life of someone who comes after you. Even so, work is good, wisdom comes from God, so work hard and live wisely. And I think part of it, too, is we should have a sense, an idea, an urgency that we should pass on wisdom. We look at Solomon, and Solomon failed to pass on wisdom. But we can learn from the, the wisdom that Solomon gives us, and we can be careful to pass on wisdom to those around us. And for those of you who are receiving that wisdom as you grow up, listen to that wisdom. Don't be the person who's a fool who wastes their parents' hard work. Don't be the person who doesn't care about following after God. Don't be the person whose life is so full of your work that you have no room for God or anything else. Because all of us will die. As we saw in, um, uh, in Sunday school, which some of you obviously weren't in there, but there's a passage in Romans, and it says, in that passage in Romans 2, God will judge, He will evaluate our lives on the basis of Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel. And so if we know that that day is coming 
then we must live wisely. Not because wisdom will solve all our problems. It can't make our lives one second longer. Not because wisdom will make sure that everything works out for everybody behind us. Because it doesn't. But because wisdom pleases God, a wise understanding of life as a gift of God helps us to serve Him well in this life. And because we see that God is working in all of these things to carry out His plan. Whether that be to take away from the person who is sinful and bless the person who is good, or whether that be one of the exceptions that we see later in the book, that there are times of suffering even for those who are good. In all of those things, we should see God's hand. We should see that wisdom has value even in the short term. And even just for ourselves, it is good to be wise. It is good to work hard. And we should see that even though it is this idea of breath, it's confusing, it's short, it's still something that we should pursue after. So, wisdom is better than folly. So what good is it? It's better than being foolish. What good is it? It's good for you even if someone else doesn't pay attention to it. Wisdom is good. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see the value of wisdom. And by wisdom, not just knowing facts or doing things in a selfish way to make our lives easier, but rather, uh, your word says in other places that fearing you is where wisdom truly begins. And so, we realize that that's the most important thing, that we know you, that we follow you, and that we point people around us to you. So we pray, Lord, that you would help us to see the limitations of wisdom in terms of it not being able to uh, keep us from death, that it not being a complete guarantee of what happens after our lives, but the wisdom that is tied to fearing you is, most importantly, a guarantee for us to be right with you, to be in your presence, to be blessed by you, despite the fact that our world is perplexing and confusing and has a lot of different things that are difficult to understand. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to live these truths out this week, that we would work hard and enjoy the results of that hard work, that we wouldn't just work hard, but we would work wisely and see that that's a better way to live and that our goal in all these things would be to be pleasing to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.